Welcome. Uh, I am Michael Thomas. I am one of the pastors here at, uh, at Fellowship North, and you have walked in on a series that we started last week on stewardship. And the thing that I did last week to start us off was talk about the stewardship of our life from a standpoint of the thing that you and I are called to do as followers of Jesus before anything else is steward that which has brought us life and therefore brings life. And that is the good news. And the good news is the gospel about who Jesus is and about who we are and about how he intersects us and brings us life and therefore is the hope of life for every man and woman and whoever would come to faith or live would be through coming to faith in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're called to steward first and foremost, the message of life, which is the gospel. So before you get into conversations about stewardship of anything else, you, you talk about that one because that is at the top of the list. Life. Everything else flows from it, I believe, and that's why it is part one of a stewardship conversation. Um, now, in the midst of stewarding the gospel, one of the ways that we steward that is we talk about how it has impacted us. We talked about how it's changed our life. We talk about the influence on us. We talk about maybe how it's given us purpose in places that we didn't have purpose before. We talk about maybe where it's intersected places where we had false beliefs or ideas about us, and it's changed those. Um, the way we engage loved ones differently, the way we see people differently, the way we do our jobs differently. But any place that we talk about the good news and life and, and we have... we. We have a proclamation of what it's done in our life. That's called our testimony, right? That's our testimony. Here's what Jesus has done in me. And um, when we talk about our testimony, there is a way that how the gospel changes us, some of those ways are very tangible, they're observable, what we're going to start talking about over the next few weeks is one of the places where that becomes most tangible and observable. Like one of, the, one, of the, one of the clearest places that you can see how Jesus has intersected our life is going to have to do with our money and our possessions. And that's not my opinion. And I'll show you some of that in a few minutes, and then we'll be talking about those over the next couple of weeks. But before I do, I want to pause for a second and give you the history of this topic in this community. I have never done a stewardship series, and we're about seven years old. We'll be seven years old in January. I'm not saying that as a compliment. Actually, I, I probably should have done that multiple times by this point in the history of our community, but I haven't. But here's the way we have cared about such a tangible thing with regards to our life is concerned. Is anybody in here ever interact with or ever concerned with or ever had any turmoil with or ever had any conversations about anything that had to do with money and possessions? Anybody? Yes. Okay. Um, like it's a very real part of our life, right? Right. 
So I'm going to pause for a second. I'm going to give you a little history. This community was founded on the desire and the intent and the intent to disciple people to become and live as disciples of Christ that they may become disciple makers. That means that we would reproduce ourselves and our lives being lived for Jesus by teaching them to become people who live for Jesus and showing them how to do that. And so as a part of this endeavor, what's involved is you train and you equip and you teach people things. The reason why that's necessary is no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what your history is, here's what's true about you. Everything about who you are is tainted with sin, which means everything is some version of broken in your life. Those of us who are without Christ. Welcome to Fellowship North. Encouragement is my gift, right? So everything, what that means is when you come to Jesus, you start on a path of relearning everything. So everything about who you are gets exposed to the light. Before you come to Christ, light has not shined on most of what is in your life. When the light shines on your life, it exposes it for broken or being tainted by sin, which is unpleasing to God. And so the life of a believer is lived in a reflect in a pursuit of holiness, kind of sparked by reflective living. It's, it's when I encourage you at every new year and throughout the season to get into your scripture. What you do when you get into scripture is you constantly expose your life to light. That's what getting into scripture does. And when it gets exposed, you see need. And need is the way that these different aspects of my life get refined or redeemed. You're, you have to relearn everything. That's what the Christ life is about. So you're not only teaching and training and equipping of people, you're coming alongside them to walk with them in the teaching and training and equipment and equipping. That's called discipleship. That's what that's called. And that's what we are called to do as a body. Hopefully that's why you gather together as a corporate uh, gathering of believers so that you may be gain knowledge or understanding or equipment to do that better and then see your life's mission as walking that out legitimately in your life and then helping others that you have influence in their lives to help them do that same thing. That's living the Christ life. And so that's our heart. It's been our heart. And that means every aspect of our life. There's not a place in your life, a category that doesn't fall under that scenario. Everything needs to be relearned. The way I see my wife, the way I see my kids, the way I treat my family, the way I do my job, the way I see other people that are not like me. Everything has to be refined. Everything. With that being said, Lee Bell, who is a retired banker, who was the first elder representative in this community, came over from Middlebrook. He and, he and Joyce Bell prayed about a community in Knoxville for 20 years. When we started this community, they came over. And uh, he had a passion for people being equipped and trained in the area of their life as in finances. Because as a banker, he had seen multiple examples. Can you imagine the many examples that you would be aware of as a banker of people who have not used their finances and possessions wisely? 
and those who have used their finances and possessions wisely and the difference between the two. I mean, he has seen some things. And he has a heart for people learning them because he's seen the heartache and the heartbreak and the struggle and the turmoil that has caused in people's life with possessions and finances. By the way, if you're having a problem in your marriage, right? One of the top reasons why people have problems in their marriage has to do with money and possessions. That's one of them. That's one of the top two. It's a very real thing. And so he had a, he had a heart for that. Um, well, that led to Fellowship North be, beginning and having as one of their first equipping classes in this community, a financial equipping class. Very quickly into that endeavor, uh, Steve and Penny Sherwood walk in the door. It's their second week here. Lee starts up a conversation with Steve Sherwood. And before the conversation's over, realizes that Steve Sherwood and Penny also have a testimony into the finances and that God has used finances in their life and possessions and how to use them as as a testimony to refine their entire life. Not easy lessons, by the way. And Steve comes in with a passion for and has previously taught people in financial classes. Lee finds this out, and you know what Lee does? Lee does what Lee does. He passes the responsibility on of teaching financial classes in this community to Steve and Penny Sherwood. Note to self, if you know who Lee Bell is and he ever is walking towards you with a glimmer in his eye and he puts his hand on your shoulder, you're in trouble. Like you're going to get an assignment because he has a vision for your life. Uh, He wants to get you involved in the body of Christ and he'll figure out how to do that. That's what he did with Steve and Penny Sherwood. And so they very quickly started taking over the financial stewardship of teaching these classes. I'm going to stop, pause here. That's been the history of our community. We've done that since I think year two because we see that as a tangible way to care for people, to show them, to help them see the reality of who Jesus is in their life and put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. Actually, not so to speak, quite literally. Because we think that's a testimony. We think that's better for you to do that. And so we've cared about that since the beginning. A question we always get asked, I'm going to address right now because we always get asked it. The material that we use is called compass. It's a very biblically, it's, it's, it's layered and lathered in Scripture. It's a very biblically based uh, financial material, and that's what we use. Well, what about Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey, we love Dave Ramsey. We support him, financial peace ministry. There's been many people in this community that have gone through that. They got exposed to finances through that. And the principles and even the foundation of how you manage money and possessions are so very congruent between the compass material and Dave Ramsey's material. However, the compass material is a much more intense, biblically-based product than the financial piece, which is also based on faith, also has Scripture to back up what's going on, and Dave Ramsey himself is a serious believer. And that's how he came to some of the conclusions he came to. But he has taken the financial material and made it so that it can be used kind of in a broader range uh, 
And that thing has been used in every environment you can possibly imagine as a tremendous tool to help people see not just the benefit of handling finances, but the reason why you handle them the way you do. And he has, that's been unbelievable. We actually have a couple in our church right now who have taught multiple compass classes here, a young couple. They had people in their life, not in this community, in other parts of their life, asking them about financial things. They decided to teach a financial class. They stepped out of their life group and started teaching a financial class to those people in their life that are not a part of this community and for the most part, not believers. And they're taking them through the financial peace material. Right now, that's going on. And their hope is to speak into their life and teach them some practical, tangible things so that they can get to the place to where they say, now, if you accomplish all of the goals that you've set out to accomplish and you do, you meet all of these requirements that you've set out to require, to what end are you doing them? What are you going to gain? What are you going to get? What are you after? Insert Jesus. <laughs> right? Insert a greater purpose to material possessions and finances because it's the only place you'll ever find joy and contentment with them. That's it. So, that being said, uh, these things have been present in our community since the beginning, and uh, we care about that now. We usually always offer these classes at the beginning of the year. I'm going to say something about that at the end, but let me make no mistake. At this point in our community, we're in one of the most like financial needs that we've ever been. Again, we're not even seven years old yet, so we're very young. But you all know what's been happening around here and with the purchase of this building and what we feel like God has done, we, we do have need. But here's the thing. How disingenuous is it for us to come to you with need without caring more deeply about you as an individual or a family first? And here's what we think. If we care more about you as an individual and a family and how you handle these things in regards to how you live out your faith, then whatever the needs are here will be secondary and met. That's the correct order. And the history of this community is that we have cared about individuals and families in this category since the beginning. This is not something we're doing because we have need. It's a part of the process. So, this morning, I am going to be talking about one primary point. Isn't that so refreshing? You've just walked in on a Sunday where I'm going to make one primary point this morning, which you would argue should be more sermons like that, Michael, instead of those six points you try to make in sermons. I know, I know, I'm working on it. Um, so you're hearing a good morning. So at the, I said at the beginning, one of the most tangible places that you can observe impact with the presence of Jesus in your life and how you steward your life is in money and possessions and that it wasn't opinion. Howard Dayton, who wrote the material that we use, the compass material, says this. There are 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, more than 2,350 verses on money and possessions. Does that tell a story? Do you think how we live and what we do with what we have been called to steward is not supposed to be congruent with one another. There's some congruency that's supposed to be there. 
you also know that there is very little difference a lot of times in the way a Christian manages their resources and a way a non-Christian manages their resources. And that's just true. We're coming up on one of the most exposing seasons of all year to that very truth. In fact, what's it called? Christmas. That's right. It is November the 3rd. You got it. It'll be Thanksgiving before you wake up in the morning. Um, and then you'll be like, I heard my first kind of, uh, um, I do not know why I can't think of it. That, that Friday before the, what's that called? Black Friday. I don't know why in the world that left me, but it did. But I heard a Black Friday advertisement about four days ago and went, you have got to be kidding me. Nope. Here we are. Um, so this morning I'm going to make a point, but I'm going to share some scripture with you. The case that I'm going to make, it could be made so much more thoroughly. I could have just stood up here and read scripture to you all morning about these things, but I've chosen some scriptures out of some different types of literature in the Bible to, just to make the point. I, I don't want you to turn there, but I have just listed them here. And by the way, they're out of order in the way that I'm going to say them. I'm sorry for you anal attentive type A people. I apologize. I meant to change it. I didn't. Forgive me. Although you will have a hard time. I understand. Here we go. You see if you can pick up on the point that I'm making. Okay? I'm not going to tell you what it is. You see if you can spot it. Psalm 24.1 says this. Psalms, the book of worship, right? This is what we bring our worship to. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within it. Deuteronomy, this is from the law, this would be Moses. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Psalm 50, back to the book of worship, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. And then here's verse 12 of Psalm 50. I find this impactful and moving. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. In other words, what good would it do for me to tell you my need? I have the ability to meet all of them. I own all. I just inadvertently gave away my point. Number four, this is Acts 17. This is on the mission field, okay? Paul is an Areopagus, and he notices all, just in Athens, all of these gods that are being worshipped, all of these statues to these different gods that are being worshipped. He notices an uh, uh, altar built to the unknown God. Paul comes along and says, let me tell you who that is. And here's what he says. 
What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul talking to unbelievers whom he is trying to evangelize about who God is, the one true God, uses the apologetic, the reason for who God is, as he is the creator of everything. That's his point. In an evangelistic setting, where does he start? He starts with God as the creator and owner of everything. That's Acts 17. Colossians 1 to the church in Colossae. Again, Paul reminding the church of who Jesus is. Here's where he goes. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. All things. Paul wanting the church to be solidified in their mind who Christ is. Colossians 1 being one of the most Christological passages in all of scripture. And Paul talks about the creative nature of Jesus in God. That he is the creative source and force behind all creation, visible and invisible. And that in him all things hold together. Not only that, but in Proverbs 21.1 and multiple passages after this, here's what 21.1 says. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it where he pleases. God is the owner of what? Everything. Everything. There is nothing outside of him. This is the story that you see. If you read through the story of Israel in the Old Testament, in the Exodus specifically, here's what you see. He takes Moses, a guy who can't speak, scared to death and wanted for murder, and makes that guy his representative to the nation Israel and to Egypt. That's what he does with Moses. He shows his power over nature in the first nine plagues on Egypt. Remember all those? With frogs and locusts and turning river into blood and doing all those things. His power over nature. And then the tenth plague is power over life and death. Where the firstborn in every household that is not covered with the blood of the lamb over the doorpost dies. He illustrates his ownership over everything including life and death. In the story of the nation of Israel, he parts a Red Sea. He gives manna from heaven. Um, He 
uh, make sure that they never go without food. In the 40 years of wandering, their sandals do not wear out. Um, He finally gets them to the promised land. And in crossing over into the promised land, one of the first acts under Joshua is to defeat the city of Jericho. Do you know how they defeat the city of Jericho? They march around it, blow some trumpets, and then yell at it. Is that actually what causes the city of Jericho to fall? No. It's the power of God that does that. Through that method and through those actions, but the power of God that destroys the city of Jericho. In Jesus' life, he takes enough bread and fish to feed five people and multiplies it into enough to feed 5,000. In his life, he walks on water, disappears from crowds, calms a storm, controls demons, heals all kinds of sickness, raises from the dead, and ascends to heaven. How do you do that? How do you do that? You be in control of everything. That's how you do it. You be in control of everything. If God really is the creator of all things, is it surprising that he would be in control of the things he created? No. That's why, folks, when, you, when you're talking to unbelievers, like that's why you don't... Number one, no wonder they would have problems with miracles, right? Those are super natural outside of nature. That's what a miracle is. It's a supernatural act. Can you walk on water? If you can, please invite me. I'd like to watch it, right? Probably not. Of course they have problems with those things because they fail to understand. No wonder Paul on the mission field talks about so much God is the creator. Because if you understand that in the hands of God, all things have been created and then he owns all things, then you can wrap your head around these other more minuscule things. Then doing a miracle like walking on water, that's your response. That's the appropriate response. Write that down. Like, what's the big deal walking on water? He created everything, right? Right? No problem. But if you don't believe in that, if you don't get that, then you're going to struggle with all kinds of things about what lays in the power of God to do. And those are one thing, but here's another. Is this not what our Bible is constantly teaching us? That God is in control of all things? And those are just mostly physical nature things that I'm talking to you about. What about the story of Abraham? What about when Abraham's called to take Isaac up to a hill and kill him? What do you think Abraham's struggling with more than anything in his life right there? God being in control. God owning everything, including his son. What do you think happens in Joseph's head and heart when his family sells him to slavery? He goes to slavery and becomes prominent in that place, then gets arrested and goes back to prison. 
What do you think is going on in Joseph's head and heart right there? You think he's struggling with the ownership of God over everything? I think probably. What about the life of Job? What about when Job loses everything? Everything. Literally, except his life. And he begged God to take that because he couldn't handle it anymore. What do you think he's struggling with? God being in control of everything. So what's my point? God is the owner of everything. I think you see that so clearly in this particular passage. By the way, if you take this financial class, you'll have to memorize this passage. This may keep you from taking the class. This is 1 Chronicles. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in, and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And then if you understand what's been said in this verse, then you also understand that your only right response to all of it is verse 13. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Gratitude. If you take this class also, you'll be asked to sign a deed. Folks, here's where it gets real. It's a piece of paper. It says this. This deed made the the fill-in-the-blank day of fill-in-the-blank month of fill-in-the-blank year from your name, Michael Thomas, to the Lord. I transfer to the Lord the ownership of the following possessions. And then you have to list the possessions that you transfer to the Lord and acknowledge that they are His. And then you have a place for somebody to hold you accountable for recognizing the Lord's ownership in those things, and they have to sign it. And then you have to go over here, and you have to sign what you've just put down. And I sign a document, and it sounds corny, maybe sounds a little bit silly. That is a spiritual endeavor. I got this out for this sermon. I took this class in 2014, that's five years ago, and I looked at the things that I wrote and asked myself the question, am I doing that in those things that I put down? And also... Did I not only ask myself the question, but the Lord forced me to think about it in the most intimate of ways. Here's how he did. You've heard me say this before, but you want to grow. You want to walk intimately with Jesus. Get you a little Bible study and start teaching some scripture to people. Do you know what the Lord will do? Hey, Chrissy. You believe that stuff you're teaching? Let me see. 
And then he'll put something in your life to let you see whether you do or not. My son's 17 years old. It's Wednesday night. It's late. I had a late meeting here. So we sit down to eat breakfast. We sit down to eat breakfast. We sit down to eat dinner at about 7.30 at night. He's not home yet. He's coming back from a class that he's in, which he, got, he stayed late to. And he texts us like, he's, like a good son and says, I'm on my way. So we start preparing the table to eat. Um, and we get a call five minutes later from him. Andrea answers the phone and he says, Mom, I'm okay. What's coming next? Right, I mean, like, that's everybody in the room knows, right? He doesn't even need to say anything. I'm okay. I've had a wreck. So, the, to, you know, the, all the questions are Are you okay? Is everything okay? Was anybody else involved? You know, da da da. da. Where are you? We're on our way. I mean, that's kind of all we got. And, and you get there, um, and we, we, started, we started looking at the vehicle, and this vehicle was so special to us. It's probably, I don't know yet, but it's, the insurance company is more likely not going to total the vehicle. But it was wet. He was coming off of an off-ramp. Um, there was a guy behind him that saw everything happen and said he, he just hit some water, and the back of his truck just kind of uh, hydroplaned. He overcorrected, spun it out into the brick concrete wall. Um, there was no other people involved. Nobody was with him. But I got there and was looking at the truck. I was like, this was a sweet possession for us. He worked three years earning money to pay for the majority. I partnered with him, but he paid, for, he paid for the majority of the vehicle. We didn't buy the vehicle off a lot. We got it from a family that we love. The truck was special to them. So this truck was like, this was a, like, this was a, you know, this was my first child's first vehicle. And it was just this thing, you know, going through the process, buying it, you know, getting it, da 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 We'd put some money into it to steward it well. And, and, and it was sad. It was sad. But I was reminded because I'd gone through this, well, whose truck is it? Is it my truck? Is it my son's truck? Is it the Lord's truck? There's a story that Howard Dayton tells in his material of a guy buying a new car and coming out like two weeks after he bought the car and somebody has opened the door on his car. No, somebody had ran into the back bumper of it was parked in a parking lot and smashed in one side of the back bumper. And the guy had been going through all of this financial stuff and, and uh, this intense place of walking with the Lord in his life. And he came out and his response was, Lord... I don't know why in the world you would want an ugly dent in the bumper of your car. <laughs> but so be it. Got in his car, moved on about his business, right? Uh, he tells that story. Why in the world would you want your brand new car all dinged up like this? I'm not sure why you allowed that to happen, but well, you know, whatever. And then something else happened that didn't need to reinforce this lesson, but it did. Um, Friday night, we went through a baby dedication time, and that's where parents in this community of young children, we get them together, and we feed them, we have a dinner for them, and we ask them to write a letter to the child that they're dedicating. 
This is not a baby baptism. This is the parents saying, I want to raise my kid in the Lord. I intend to raise my kid in the Lord. And this is me doing a physical sign of saying, I want to do this and I'm going to do this. And not only that, but I want you as my community to help me raise my kids in the counsel of the Lord. That's why we do this. It's a beautiful thing. And so the parents get up and they read their letters and it's filled with hopes for their kids and scripture that they're going to pray over their children and ways that God's acknowledging ways that God's created them and their, their, their excitement to see what God does with them. And it's just a sweet time. It's so sweet. Beautiful thing. Well, they do this and I get up afterwards and I try to encourage them and I just say some version of, listen, the only thing you've got is You have you to give to your child. And I read them some scripture out of Proverbs and I said, please pursue knowledge and understanding of who God is. Because knowledge and understanding will lead you to wisdom. And wisdom is the place from which you learn who God is in real life application and how you're supposed to navigate life because of who God is. And that process is the only thing you have to offer when it comes to stewarding this little bitty life that you're given and doing it remotely well. It's the only way you're going to accomplish it. So pursue God so that you have something to offer to your children. And then remember this, no matter what you have to give up, no matter what it costs you, and no matter how hard it is, because I thoroughly believe it's the hardest thing there is to do, Invest your life into those kids because it's the only thing you have to offer. And then remember this. Your child's story is not your story. And you don't get to write it. Your child's story is the Lord's story. And He is writing it. And here's the truth. You don't know what he might do with them. When my son called me on Wednesday night, how real do you think that was to me? That thing could have been way different. And there are people in here who have struggled with raising kids and struggled with the consequences of those kids' decisions. And it has been Difficult. There are people in here who are in difficult circumstances in other places in life, and they don't have any answers for why that is. And the number one thing that they're asked to do is to believe and acknowledge that the Father is the creator and the owner of everything. Because it shapes how you think about anything. With regard to finances and possessions, you can learn how to manage those and you can learn how to manage those well so that they'll benefit you to the greatest extent. 
And if for no other reason of managing money and possessions, you should do it, but for that reason, right? It's going to benefit you the most. It's going to benefit you way more than if you mismanage them. No matter what. But when you add Jesus to the mix, it's the only way you're going to get any joy and contentment in managing them. And the only way you're ever going to see any type of redemptive process in them. There is constant need around you, whether you see it or not. And a lot of times it has something to do with money and possessions. But if you understand what I'm saying and you hear the story of Abraham and you hear the story of Joseph and you hear the story of Job, when you get to the management of possessions and money, they're the, they're the least of the things that you struggle to hand over to the ownership of the Father. The least of them. couple of closing comments. Um, if you are interested, we're not going to have sign-ups officially for a Compass class until January, which, by the way, will be here before we all know it. But if you think you might be interested in, in taking a financial class we have a table and a sign-up in the back corner, and all you're going to do is write your name and information on a sheet. That's it. By writing your name and information on that sheet, you give us permission to personally contact you when sign-ups happen. If you don't sign up and just follow up with you and say, hey, you put your name on a list back in November. Is this something you think you might want to do? That's all you're doing. You're saying, I think I might be interested. You're not saying that you're going to. You're just saying, yeah. Follow up with me and see if this fits. Please do that in the back if you think that might be you. And here's a closing comments. Um, it's a testimony of Steve and Penny Sherwood, but they, they, they came in and started teaching some compass classes. They were already handling their finances as, about as well as could be handled logistically. And here's what Steve would say. We went from making f- wise financial decisions to faithful financial decisions. It went from wise, it went from wisdom to faithfulness. Shifted their entire mindset. Not what do we want to do with our money. What does God want us to do with His money? See, that's different. He said, nothing really changed with our money or our budget very much or what we did with our money. Um... But it changed the heart and the mind and the culture of our family with how we did what we did with our money. And that's what we're after. And here's the the last encouragement. I think there are two categories where this is easiest to say this about. 
I have personal friends that I have had multiple conversations with, and I've asked them some version of this. Hey, how, how often are you in Scripture if they're struggling with something? And the answer has been, well, not very much. I just, you know, I just don't, I just can't read my Bible every day if I don't feel like reading it. It just feels inauthentic. So what they've just said is, I read my Bible when I feel like reading my Bible. Oh, that's fantastic. That's stupid is what that is. You don't do that with any other aspect of your life. Who of you only goes to work when you feel like going to work? Anybody? You know what that's called? Unemployment. That's what that's called right there. How many of you parent when you only feel like parenting? You know what that's called? Not being a parent. You thought it was going to be more witty than that, didn't you? It just, it's very, you're not parenting. There is a case for acting yourself into faithfulness. You know what's true, you respond to what's true, and by so responding, you lead your heart into it. You don't let your heart lead. If you think or you have ever said, well, just follow your heart, then you got that from a Disney movie. You did not, or a Hollywood romantic flick. You did not get that from Scripture. It's nowhere to be found. Nowhere. Not true, not legitimate. Your heart will kill you because it primarily is about you. Act yourself into faithfulness. Because folks, you need to believe what's true and act on what's true. And the people in your life need you to believe what's true and act on what's true because they're going to need you to remind them of what's true and how to act on what's true. And you're going to need them to do that because you're going to need them to remind you to do that at different seasons of your life. I cannot tell you how many times I have needed somebody to demonstrate faithfulness to me and tell me how to be faithful and encourage me just to respond in faithfulness when I was failing at it all over the place because I was trying to find life somewhere else or thinking that there was another answer. And it's not. In the area of finances and possessions, God owns everything. And the start of doing that well is understanding He owns everything. It's His. And what am I going to do in light of that truth? And man, it's helpful when you've got people around you who are doing it. Let me pray for you. Father, there's so many places we need you to remind us what is true. And you know the places where those are and the people in this room and where they are. And there are more important things at stake than just our money and possessions. But how we see those things will determine how we see our money and possessions. And therefore how we live. And how we mean and value and prioritize what we say we mean and value and prioritize. Please don't let this be a pragmatic issue but convict our hearts 
that this would be an endeavor of godliness. And in so doing, know you more deeply. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.